Amen. Um, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16 this morning in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew five thirteen to 16. Jesus has been describing what a disciple is. Those who are his followers. As he went through what we have come to know as the Beatitudes. The attitudes his people are to be. These are the character traits that Jesus has set forth as the nature and the aim for his disciples, his people, as they live in the world. And he also told his disciples about the attitude the world would display toward Christians as they live out these Beatitudes. And now, in the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus describes the influence and the impact his disciples are to have to those in the world. And he uses two powerful metaphors that a disciple is to display in the world. That of salt and light. Our Lord in his great teachings used everyday things to illustrate important lessons. In this passage, he uses salt and light to instruct on the disciples' ministry. The disciples' conduct in the world, in society, and even in the church. Both salt and light have great, they give a great service. And both are important in human life, especially in Jesus' day as he wrote this, as he shared this, as he gave this sermon. Salt and light are both very useful. Both are quite different in their functions. For instance, salt is more hidden. It's more beneath the surface. Light is more obvious. Salt works more from within, light from without. The illustrations of salt and light that Jesus uses to teach us, it gives us very important characteristics for the disciple, the born-again believer. And overall, Jesus uses these two descriptions to point out the enhancing and preservative influence the Christian is to have in the world and how the Christian is to influence and be a good witness for Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at the disciple as salt, verse 13, and the disciple as light of the world, verses 14 to 16. Let's read the passage. Verse 13 of chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're going to look at first the disciple is to be salt of the earth. Verse 13. And in the first part of verse 13, we have the worth of salt. The worth of salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. 
Most of us view salt as just an ordinary thing. We have it sitting there in the kitchen just waiting to be used. And sometimes salt can just sit in the cabinet forever, it seems like. I remember when I was a kid, it seems like my mom had that, that container of Morton salt there for all my growing up life, the same one. The edible salt we use today as a condiment is a chemical compound called sodium chloride. The salt used back in the time of Jesus was mined from the salt cliffs along the Dead Sea. It was rock salt from the Dead Sea. In that time, they didn't have whirlpool refrigerators like we have. So it was important, salt was important for the preservation of food. Salt kept food from decaying. Many do not realize the importance of salt in maintaining the health of our bodies. There's a percentage of it that is needed in our bodies. Salt is also a sustainer of other life. It is said that salt water will support more organisms than fresh water. In Jesus' day, salt was very important for use as a preservative that helped certain foods from spoiling. And salt is a nice enhancement, as we all know, that adds flavor and zest to our food. When salt is used properly, emphasis on properly, and it's put on our food, it is so the food itself tastes more authentic as it should be. Not so that we can just taste the salt. <laughs> so the picture is that the disciple of Jesus as the salt of the earth is valuable in the world. The disciple is an agent against decay, against spiritual sickness, and it helps to enrich spiritual health in society. In the scriptures, Throughout the scripture, salt is used in various ways. For instance, in Leviticus 2.13, salt was used to ratify a covenant. Leviticus 2.13 says, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Even as salt was used to preserve food, Salt was used uh, as a symbolic of consecration and making a binding covenant permanent. A covenant of salt meant a permanent agreement that was not to be broken and that would last forever. You can also look at Numbers 18.19 and 2 Chronicles 13.5. In 2 Kings 2.20 and 21, salt was used as a healing and cleansing aid when Elisha performed a miracle on the water. 2 Kings 2, 20 and 22, it says, And he said, Bring me a bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in, cast in the salt there. And said, they, uh, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death nor barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. The salt was a symbol of incorruption and purification. 
In Ezra 6.9, part of the temple offering included salt. And in Colossians 4.6, in the New Testament, Paul tells us, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And when Paul is telling us in Colossians 4 there that it is the disciple's speech that is to have an effect where presenting the gospel is, in, is inviting. In the Roman culture, salt was an important use for trade and even for payment. Roman soldiers sometimes received part of their salary in salt. The word salary, does that sound familiar? Where does that come from? It comes from the word salt. It's derived from that word salt. This is where we get the expression to be worth one salt. That's where it came from. It means you're competent and deserve what you're earning. The Romans in that day had a saying, there is nothing more useful than sun and salt. So, when Jesus says to his disciples, his followers, you are the salt of the earth, He's describing the believer and in, in, in giving us a picture of very different way of different aspects of what we are to be. We are to be a preserving capability. We are to have a preserving capability. As salt decays and and it decay as salt delays decay and spoilage when it is rubbed into meat so that it preserves it for a time, so is the Christian's influence in society and the nation. The presence and the prayers of Christians in this land has had an incredible effect to preserve this nation more than people realize. The influence of born-again Christians in this nation throughout history has had an incredible influence on America. And it is what keeps this nation from full judgment. Us being here, the believer. Because when, we, when we're raptured, when, the, when we're gone, it's going to get crazier. I think it's crazy now. I had a slight picture of this when I used to work out in the world. Um, and I was the only believer in my, where I worked with in my staff that I had. Um, Every now and then, there, you know, we worked a lot, but then when I would get a, a, a time off, a, a few days to get away and break off, I would take off and my assistant would sometimes tell me, Henry, when you're here, everything's okay, but when you leave, it, it just gets nuts here. And the Lord showed me in glory to him is that that's the picture of what's going to happen. He goes, things get out of hand when you're gone, you know, and that's what's going to happen. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So, even though we see a godless world despising Christians, persecution happening here and in other parts of the world, even though we see the liberal media taking jabs at Christianity whenever it can, and the rejection of God as creator and savior more than ever before, the born-again Christian is still a preserving agent today in this nation. It is God's people who are the valuable ones in society. But as believers, as salt of the earth, we have a tremendous responsibility to warn people who have not given their lives to the Lord. They need to witness 
this not only by our words, but by the effective influence we are to have in our walk with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. Jude 21 to 23 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We have an important responsibility as salt of the earth. The believer as salt in the earth is also to have a permeating capability. Even as salt had a, a great permeating ability the believer is to be an active force in spreading the gospel even in the midst of persecution in the book of acts when the church was experiencing great persecution acts 8 4 tells us it says therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word in Acts 17 the account on the attack of the house of jason uh, verse 6 of Acts 17 describes jason and the brethren it says these who have turned the world upside down. The believer as salt of the earth. That's, our, that's our, what we are to be. Even in the midst of persecution. The believer as salt of the earth. Is also to have a purifying capability. As salt is used on a wound. To cleanse a wounded area. It was used back then like that. The Christian is to have a cleansing. Purifying effect on those around them. Those that we come in contact with. In other words, when a non-believer or even a carnal Christian comes around you or you walk in a room, hopefully if we're representing the Lord and we are a salt of the earth, that there will be a different behavior when we walk in in those situations than uh, would normally be around non-believers when a, when the believer walks in. Hopefully, when you walk in, there were, you know the cussing would stop, gossiping or lusting when the believer comes around. And when that happens, you should thank the Lord when that happens, because you're acting as a purifying, cleansing influence to those around you. And. I'm not talking about a self-righteous attitude because that's different. You know, where you walk in and go, hey, what are you doing drinking that beer? You know, that's not what I mean. Um, but the presence of our good witness in our life is salt of the earth. That's what I'm talking about. It's interesting because um, as I was putting this together this week and, and this subject and all this, um, I get a call from my neighbor across the street trying to get together a neighborhood, few, a bunch of families that have, she knows to have a barbecue and, and a summer thing going. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what are you trying to show me here? You know, this is interesting. You know, and to top it off, my wife Gloria and I had no excuse not to be there. You know, we weren't, there was no ministry event. So 
what are we going to do? Just say no and they'll see us at home. And the Lord was tugging on my heart and saying, okay, Henry, you're doing this study. Why don't you step up? And, and, and it was awesome. So we said, yeah. And we went over and took some food. And, you know, they're drinking and they're having their, their drinks by the pool and all that. And, and it was awesome being there as, a, as light and salt, hopefully. And, and even the, the neighbor, when it was time to eat, she goes, oh, Henry, since in here, can you do the blessing? You know, in other words, pray, but she called it the blessing. And it was neat. I got to pray for the neighborhood and, and lift everybody up. So hopefully some seeds were planted in that. So it was awesome. And, and that's hopefully what we're supposed to be. Uh, we are to have effect like this. Um, if we have an effect like this, though, it proves that we're worth our salt. The believer as salt of the earth is also to have enhancing capabilities. I mean, let's face it. There are some foods that shouldn't be eaten unless we put salt on them, right? Popcorn. You got to put a, a little bit on a moderate. You got to put some salt on popcorn, okay? Um, there are certain vegetables. I love putting a little salt on tomatoes. And as salt adds flavor and zest to food, so is the believer to be in Christ. We are, we are to add flavor to those around us. The world is supposed to, to look at us as salt of the earth and see a love for Jesus in our life. The world is to see a marriage that draws people to say, how, how do they make it work? How is it happening for them? Why are they still together? You know, those type of things. The world is to see a family that is functioning under the guidance of Jesus. You know, we, we take our dog for a walk almost every night. And um, I see neighbors now that drive around waving at me that I have no idea who they are. You know, hey, how you doing? You know, and I realize that they are watching my wife and I every night because we do it pretty consistently. And they're seeing us. They see us out the window. They, they're in their yard and they want, they notice us. And I know there's something going on there. I just know it because, you know, they're saying, why are they holding hands? Why isn't he kicking the dog, you know, or something like that? Um, but uh, it's, it's pretty awesome when you think about it. And that's what the world is to see. We are to be a blessing to those around us. I think of Chick-fil-A and some of the actions they've done recently in light of, you know, serving and, and blessing people with food in light of the, ter the terrorism and stuff like that. I mean, that's pretty awesome. They're being a blessing to those around them. And also, we're not to be deadbeats who bless no one and are a bad witness unto the Lord. As professing Christians as salt of the earth, we're also not to have a sour disposition all the time, moody, complaining, selfish, ill-mannered, difficult to get along with, unpleasant to be around does not add a good enhancing effect to those around us. We need to be make sure that we're more like salt and less like vinegar. The verse says, you are the salt of the earth, not the vinegar of the earth. And I understand that Christianity many times will irritate an ungodly world that rejects Christ as we honor him. As we honor him in our walk, in our conduct. But 
We must not let the world be irritated by us because we're vinegar instead of salt. Also, the believer as salt of the earth has become an exterminating agent in his or her own life. What do I mean by that? Salt kills things, right? Salt can kill some things. If you put salt on, on a lawn, it can kill it. Abimelech in Judges 9.45 destroyed the fields with salt so nothing would grow. Have you ever put salt on a slug? Do you remember as a kid? Thing would just fry. So in a truly born again Christian, there are things in our lives that have been exterminated. They've been put to death. When Jesus came into our lives or comes into a person's life, things like drugs and drinking and partying and fighting and hating and loose living and all those types of things are to be put to death. They're to be exterminated in our lives. Even as Colossians 3, 5 to 10 says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you, you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The believer is also to have a thirst, uh, a thirst boosting capability. Sin creates a thirst. I mean, salt creates thirst. Well, I mentioned popcorn. What happens after you eat a whole bowl of popcorn with salt? You get thirsty. The believer, a salt of the earth, has the great opportunity to promote a thirst for Jesus. Jesus said in John seven thirty seven, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. As Christ's ambassadors, as salt of the earth, we have the ability and the responsibility to create a thirst for Jesus in the hearts of, of those we come in contact with all the time. When we live out our lives as his disciples and we walk upright in him, when this happens, then we can point people to Jesus and share the water of life with them. And we have to be careful in this day that, that the world doesn't look at us and Say, well, why should I receive Jesus? They're no, their lives are no different than us. We need to make sure that we are changing the world and it is not the other way around. The thinking in many in the church today is that we have to be like the world to win the world. But in my opinion, I think that that has been as a, used as a trap by the enemy. We will draw more people to Jesus if we're more like Jesus. We must live our walk in such a way that we create a thirst for Jesus in a dying world around us. People need to see a witness that causes them to say, I thirst for what they have. When Jesus tells us that we are salt, he is reminding us that we are to imitate the usefulness of salt. 
We have the opportunity and the responsibility to be an influence in the world. In the second part of verse 13, uh, notice Jesus tells the disciples, he tells us, he gives us a danger to avoid. Notice the contrast and the warning. He says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The warning or this warning is about the failure for salt to maintain its saltiness. And notice this warning takes up the the majority of verse 13, which tells us the importance of it. Notice the words loses its flavor. Interesting phrase there. Uh, In the Greek, it is the word moraino. And this is where we get our English word moron. Interesting, huh? The word means dull, sluggish, stupid, silly. When applied to salt, it means the salt has become dull. It's become bland, tasteless, flat. It loses its salty uh, properties. The The word also has the meaning of playing the fool. In fact, the word is used in Romans chapter 1 verse 22 in reference to the wrath of God where it says, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, professing to be wise, they became fools, moraino. And when you put all this together, we see that our Lord is warning the disciple, the Christian, against a failure in character. In other words, be careful not to lose, he's saying, that spiritual flavor. Don't play the fool And disobey the commands of of the Lord and leave God out of your life. We must be careful that we do not become more like the world than we are like the Lord. And as a result, we lose the thing that is to set us apart, that makes us valuable as the Lord's ambassadors, as his disciples. And this is what is happening in a lot of churches in this day and age. There are a They have lost their saltiness and their testimony in the attempt to be more relevant to the world. And as a result, instead of changing the world, many in the church have become more conformed to the world. And that's what I meant by a trap of the enemy. Our Lord goes on to say, notice he he says, how shall it be seasoned? That's a sobering question. It should wake us up when (laughs) we're reading that. How shall it be seasoned? It's a powerful warning in that word picture. And notice he gives us the, the dreadful answer to this question at the end of verse 13. He says, It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. That's scary. Once salt has lost its saltiness, it's never good for, it, for, for anything. We have to realize that when the salt loses its flavor, its value is gone forever. Luke 14.35 says, It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. Marvin Vincent, in his word study commentary, he gave an interesting illustration how a man foolishly ruined a a huge amount of salt because he allowed it to be mingled with the earth. 
And uh, he said, A merchant of Sidon brought over a great quality, quantity of salt from the marshes of Cyprus, enough, in fact, to supply the whole province for many years. This he had transferred to the mountains to cheat the government out of some small percentage of duty. Sixty-five houses were rented and filled with salt. Such houses have merely earthen floors, and the salt next to the ground was in a few years entirely spoiled. Large amounts, large quantities of it became good for nothing. And this is a picture of what can happen when a Christian lives on the earthen floor, so to speak. When we become more like the world and we allow the world to affect our walk. It will rot. It will rot our salt-like distinctiveness. We will no longer have the spiritual flavor in us. In Jesus' time, when salt lost its flavor, it was taken out and cast into the walkways. Its purpose then was to just kill the weeds that that would get in the way of the the paths that people walked on or to keep uh, the the, the mud uh, off their sandals. It was only good to be trampled underfoot by men. When we allow our testimony to be tainted by the rod of the world, then we lose our testimony and the good witness to the world. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to wind up being thrown out and be an unuseful vessel for the Lord. Paul knew this. He knew that the potential always existed in him. In 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27, he said, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, as, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Then he said, Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We must make sure that the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God, is permeating our entire life. And it also takes allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts so that it replaces the, the uh, infiltrating influences of the world that are trying to take us down. And as a result, when we do this, we become set apart, sanctified to the Lord in godly conduct that gives us the flavor that we need as believers. And we got to make sure that we don't lose our salt-preserving, salt-influencing, salt-purifying capability in the world. There are many, you guys, that are never going to read their Bible on their own. They may not come to church, but hopefully they can see by our witness and see a conduct that is true to our calling in Christ. That they see that, and they might not even realize it, that we're Christ's disciples and we're salt of the earth. I hope that we can catch the seriousness of this and salt that it could lose its flavor. And we're more careful in our conduct and more dedicated in, in obeying the Lord and living for him. The second metaphor Jesus gives us regarding those who are his disciples was that of light. In verses 14 to 16, the disciple is to be the light of the world. Notice in the first part of verse 14, we have the power of the light. 
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Light is an amazing thing. It was the first thing called into being in Genesis chapter 1. And even though light is not something physical, it can have a great effect on physical objects. And light is basically a wave of energy that can be seen by the naked eye. And about the only time we really think about the importance of light is when the electricity goes off and for a while and as a result of a storm or some other unexpected uh, cause. I experience the importance of light every year at Christmas time. When I have my Christmas lights on and somebody turns on the vacuum cleaner and there I go on the side of the house, you know, trying to find out why the lights went out, the breaker trips. But light dispels darkness. Anywhere there is the smallest bit of light, darkness is forced to leave. You can be in the darkest place and when you light a tiny match, it has the power to drive the darkness away. Light also illuminates, it guides, it directs. Our Lord gives us a good illustration of what a Christian should be in society here. Just the fact that light is needed tells us that there is darkness. And the world we live in is in great spiritual darkness. The world with all the great advances that we seem to have technologically, scientifically, medically, and all these other areas has yet to remove darkness. In fact, it's only increased in moral and spiritual darkness through a lot of these advancements. You can now bring it right into your home. You can bring darkness in there if you're not careful. And this world is in darkness in the worst way, you guys. There's an oppressive darkness that grips the world and the world desperately needs the light of Jesus Christ. But the great news, the awesome news, is that Jesus, the light of the world, has appeared. Luke 1, 78 and 79 says, Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide their feet, to guide our feet in the way of peace. You know my cards in the bookstore? They're called day spring cards. They come from that verse. To shed light. The day spring from on high. When Paul was describing his conversion in Acts 26, 17 and 18, the Lord said to him, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Doesn't that sound inviting? To be able to run, to turn from darkness to light. I love that. When a person gives their life to Jesus, they are saved from sin. And that person goes from darkness to light. Paul's statement in Ephesians 5.8 sums it up well. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And we are to allow the light of the word of God to help us in our walk with the Lord. Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light 
to my path. Praise God for the light of his word. It protects us from making wrong decisions that we would make if we're stumbling in the darkness without the word of God to be that light in that path. We need it always to guide us and apply it to our life situations. Don't run ahead of the Lord without going to his word and seeing what he tells you about something. Confirm this to me, Lord. Give me direction. Give me that path, that light that I need. Because we get in trouble when we go ahead of him. Notice the word are, A-R-E there. You are the light of the word, the world. In verse 14 there, the beginning. In the pre- in the pre- it's in the present tense. He says, you are the light of the world. It's in the present tense that, and it's indicating that the Christian is to continually be, continually to be a spiritual light in the world. Dwight Pentecost, he commented that light may originate in a distant star and travel a span of light of light years, but it does not get tired of shining and cease to shine. Its nature is to shine, he said. Christ says he made us lights in the world and we are not self-contained. It is the nature of the children of God who has been made light to communicate the light given to him. And our Lord calls his disciples. He calls those of us who have given our life to him to be light to the world. In the second part of verses 14 and 15, we have the place of the light. Jesus gives us two examples how the Christian is to be a light. One speaks of a city on a hill and the other a lamp in a house. He says a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is speaking of being a public witness. In Jesus' day, they, they didn't have the freeway lights that we have now to guide us on our path, on our road. If someone was traveling in the night, a person was dependent on the glow of the, of the, the lamplights in the windows of houses in the cities. It helped them to on their journey when they saw that at a distance. And some of the villages would be up on a hill, so at night the light of the houses could, be, uh, could not be hidden. They shot, they, it stood out. From a good distance, the person knew the location of the next village if the house was on the hill, if the lights were shining on that house. Jesus' point is that this is not a city down in the deepest valley, but is clearly visible in view for all to see. Notice the word cannot there in verse 14. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's the combination of not, or absolutely not, and can, which is the Greek word dunamai, which is related to the Greek word dunamis, which we get, uh, which means to have power by virtue of inherent ability. The word hidden is the word crypto. City on a hill cannot be hidden, which is where we get the word crypt or vault or tomb. So. He's saying that, that it means to, to cover, to conceal the word uh, hidden or to keep secret, either protectively or for selfish reasons. So our Lord is using this example to indicate that the truly born-again Christian cannot be hidden, is not to be hidden. 
The Christian is to be a visible light shining in the dark. A genuine believer cannot hide the fact that they have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is to be lived out in the way the Christian lives his or her life in that distinct way. And I'm not saying that we should go put on a clown suit and go stand on Colorado and wave John 3.16. That's, I'm not saying that as being light. Uh, but as a believer, hopefully that our, our biblical convictions should be solid. People should know or, or our biblical conviction should show in our lives, in our service for the Lord. The way we conduct ourselves. Our faith is to be obvious. There should be no doubt that we are Christians. Look at the other example Jesus gives us in verse 15. He says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Lamps were usually containers filled with oil, and then there was a... a, a piece of twisted flax that would be put in them and that would serve as the wick so that they would burn it. A basket could be a measuring basket many times to measure dry materials and was large enough to cover that light. And Jesus was probably using, again, like I said, he used the familiar objects that were found in most houses. The lampstand is the stand where the house, where the light was placed. Now, Remember, Jesus is talking about the example of the believer as a light. And what he is basically saying is that no one would ever think about lighting a lamp and then hiding it. Hiding that light that it's supposed to produce. People do not put a lamp under something where it will do no good. You don't turn on a flashlight and then just put it under a container. It's ridiculous. doesn't make sense. The lamp would not be achieving its intended purpose. The whole purpose of lighting a light is that it may give light. And it's foolish for someone to cover it with something which prevents that quality from manifesting itself. So in relation, a believer who is to be a light in the Lord and make a, the decision if they make their decision to put themselves under a basket, so to speak, is absurd. It doesn't make sense. But I'm afraid that this is the issue with many believers today. And I think there's a few re reasons why Christians do not shine the light of the gospel. I think for some, it may be because of fear of losing popularity. Sometimes a Christian who wants to be popular with the world is uh, not eager for others to know that he or she is a Christian. Some Christians do not want the light to shine for fear of losing a position or fear of persecution. And I believe there are many in this day and age in the church that might hide the light because they're just apathetic. They don't seem to truly realize that there is a lost world going to hell every day all around us. 
There are many professing Christians who go through life and never share the gospel with their loved ones, with their husbands or wives or children, their brothers or sisters, or their friends. Our children, our kids, just because they come to church doesn't mean they're saved. They need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we got to realize that the only lights that many of the people we know and come in contact with, that we, we are the only ones that they might ever see. It's sinful to hide our light under the basket. We have to truly realize, we have to truly be impacted with the reality that people are perishing and going to hell every single day. We should be consumed with the thought that people are dying without Jesus all around us. The Christian is to shine with the brightness of the Lord and not be hidden from the view of the world. Notice what the end of verse 15 says. And it gives light to all who are in the house. It means it it gives light. It it means to beam out, to shine out. Pretty clear logic. Jesus is talking about spiritual light. Just as the function of a lamp is to give light in the house, the believer also is to provide spiritual light. The believer is to shine out and be a beam to all they encounter in the spiritually dark world. Believers are to illuminate the truth of the gospel by our life and our mouths because our light is so vastly different from the darkness of the world. John three nineteen to 21 And this is the commandment, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed." But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world when he was physically here. And now he calls us, his disciples, to shine that light in and through us or or through his light through us. It is to bring light to spiritual darkness, to make a clear distinction between evil and good. And as a result... Those in darkness can see the gospel at work in our character and our conduct and hopefully many and some will want to know what makes us different. I read a story about uh, that I think illustrates this pretty well. There was a, a very worldly-minded, ungodly guy who did not want anything to do with Christianity. After many years, he grew old. And he went to live with his sister. Went to live with his sister, who was a Christian. The sister's son was a pastor, and he had opportunity to engage this old man in conversation about Jesus. And he also gave him some books to read. As the time went on, the man became ill, and before he he died, he gave his life to Christ. And the pastor, the pastor's son of the sister, he was eager to get the full story and wondered if he had been instrumental in turning this guy's uh, heart to Christ. Uh, but as the story unfolded, he discovered that it was not the pastor's words or even the books that he gave this guy that he recommended him to read, but it was the godly life of the sister that influenced this old man to give his life to the Lord right before he died. 
He saw the godliness, her godliness and the radiance as a Christian in every situation that, that he saw her to applying Christ to her life. And it caused him to seek the Lord uh, to know that and have that same relationship that his sister had with Jesus Christ. And, and I say, share this because our character, our, our character, our conduct and life is to be the main argument for the gospel. The believers to shine forth from whatever lampstand that God places us on. In verse 16, we have the purpose of the light. Notice it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is our responsibility. And it's also an incredible privilege as light of the world to shine the light in us. And notice the verse says, Let your light so shine, what? Before men. Before means in front of, in the presence of, in the sight of. In other words, the believer is not to live an isolated life. We are to live, as one person put it, and I like this. He said, we are to live like cream which separates from milk, yet it is still in contact with it. Verse 16 goes on to say that they may see your good works. Now, we all have works. But Jesus here mentions good works. Good works means helpful, honest, useful, honorable actions. The lovely things we do. The focus shifts from the character of the disciple to the good works which result from our character. Good works are are works that are motivated by God's love. They are works that are carried out in the power of the Holy Spirit and accomplished to bring glory to the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, and he says, thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we yield our lives to Jesus and he lives in us and through us. We show the world that our Christian faith is real and that Jesus can transform a lost sinner into something new. Our lives should be lights to show a better way of living in this dark world. There are many who do not know right from wrong, you guys. They don't know good from evil, especially when it comes to knowing spiritual truths. And as believers, we can shed light in these vital issues, vital matters. And Jesus is not making a suggestion, but he's issuing us a command. He's not saying, be lights if you want to. He's saying, you are. We need to. It's a command. And look at the aim at the end of verse 16. That they may see your good works. And what's the, here's the aim. And glorify your Father in heaven. That's the main purpose of the disciple is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whether you, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We must be light. We must let our light shine and exalt God. And even though our world dishonors God, the world needs a light that puts honor upon our Lord. Christians are to be that light. Our conduct is to put the spotlight of honor upon our Lord. And it's not so that people can see the praises of man, but that we would bring glory to our Father in heaven. 
So we need to be light transmitters. As believers, our actions are to speak louder than words. And as a result, our actions are to open the doors of opportunity for our words to speak the gospel. As Jesus is the ultimate light of the world, and if he is in us by his precious Holy Spirit, then our desire should be that he is increasing in us daily and that we are decreasing so that people will see more of him and less of us. As believers, we are to live out a way of life that is different from that of the world. A way of life that is to be distinctive, that it shines forth the character of Jesus in this dark world. We are to be like that, that watermark. In a, have you ever seen like in paper that you have a watermark that shows what the name of that company is if you shine it up on the light? That's what we are to be. We are to be a watermark, that faint design put in paper that is visible when you hold it up and it identifies who the maker is. As Jesus' disciples, our life is to be seen in such a way that others might see his watermark and that they might believe the gospel and be saved. So it's interesting that these verses, they follow right after the Beatitudes. I don't see this as a, as a coincidence. When we are living out and growing in the ways of the Lord, applying the Beatitudes and the teachings after this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. When we do this, we will be salt and light. And as a result, our lives will count for Jesus And he will get the glory. And we will expose the moral mess that we see in our society, in our culture. And that's my prayer, that we would be salt and light where the Lord has placed us as his ambassadors. What an incredible privilege we have. I pray that we do not miss this key principle in Jesus' description as salt and light. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we impact society because we are distinct Not weird or bizarre, but distinct from the kingdom of this world. When we try to adapt and be conformed to the kingdom of the world, we will lose our distinctiveness and our potential to impact the decay and the darkness of the world that, that is just so quickly passing away. Jesus doesn't call us to become salt or light. He says simply that we are salt and light. So a couple of important questions to ask ourselves today. Are we fulfilling or are we failing or are we falling short of that responsibility? Have you lost your saltiness? Are you living a sanctified life set apart for the Lord? Do you have a thirst for God? Do you desire your life to be useful to him? Do you want the Lord to be able to use your life to bring others to himself? There's nothing like that when you're in the thick of it and you know God's using you. Just, it's, it's crazy. It's a high. And there's a tremendous urgency for every one of us who call ourselves Christians to be all that God wants us to be in these last days. Jesus said in John 17, 14 to 18, I, I have given them your word and the word has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus' disciples are sent into the world to be salt and light in this world. When Jesus called the salt and light, he was telling us that we were left in this world to influence it to the glory of God. God help us to be salt and light Christians. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for impacting us and and speaking to us in this way. It shows that you care about us, Lord. You want us to be victorious, Lord. And I pray that in these days that we live in, that we would not neglect that, Lord, this aspect of what you showed us today. Lord, we all know people around us that need you. We come in contact with people all the time, Lord. Give us that urgency, Lord. Give us that feeling, that insight. Father, take away any fears that would stop us from being a witness to you, Lord. And Father, you would save many in these last days, Lord. And Father, I pray for anyone here today, Lord, that might be here, that might be listening or watching over the internet. Father, if they do not know you, Lord, if they do not, if they are not your disciple, your follower, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. And if that is you, if you're listening to my voice and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer after me as all the believers are praying. Father, forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Wash me clean. Cleanse me. From this day forward, I will walk with you. I will learn to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.